Uh, oh, uh, oh, yes. There we go. Okay. Me, I was going to say, Meek, your uh, background is very not good. But it's all fixed now. Okay. Hmm. Uh, we start now? Oh, I suppose it's as good a time as any. I mean, I did upload extremely huh? late because I got home from... Uh, I got home from work, and then I was like, oh, I'm just going to go to sleep for uh, half an hour, have a little nap, and then I woke up five hours later, and I was like, oh, shit, got to upload a video. <laughs> got to upload Google Fan. Legitimately. Hey, you speak. It was like, when I saw your video, video that you recently released, the first thing I came come to mind was like, how about the like the East India Company? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, like what about these in the Dutch or like the Spanish? Were they the first eight like, trillion dollar worth? Well, I mean, well, were they like watch until the end of the video? No, I'm in the middle. Yeah, same. This <laughs> is like. Well then, why don't you guys go and watch the whole thing until, um. And, until uh, you know you you finished, <laughs> so you can have informed questions. Ah, but anyway, spoiler spoiler alerts. Yes, we will be discussing the Dutch East India Company, but it's going to have a video all British. Well, actually, um, ee, it's not really. If you just look at nominal value, book value, or cap, uh, MCAP, actually, Apple was the first trillion dollar company. Ah, see, chicken, chicken understands. Yep. So again, you're gonna have to watch the video yeah. next Thursday, but I come to pretty much the same kind of conclusion. I think it's very juvenile mm -hmm. for people to say that, oh, yeah, it was worth seven point nine trillion dollars, because, you know, <laughs> it, it yeah. wasn't. Yeah. It just, just, it just wasn't. There was no such like the the whole okay. the GDP of Earth back then was about eighty one billion. Oh, oh, but economics explained. Reddit told me. Reddit told me. No, my Reddit comments. How could they betray me? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I re uh, if you could uh, explain, I didn't really get what about the Saudi uh, oil company. Uh, how like so? It, you said like it's worth two trillion, but it wasn't listed on the highest um worst uh, companies I, I was, because that was, I was, it was introduced uh very very late in 2019 so quarter three of 2019 it uh it didn't exist well it was uh, it existed but it wasn't a publicly traded company yeah. oh okay right um, thanks and um, That's actually a really um, interesting concept and then a uh, line of thought if you look at from a perspective that you now have, of course, the trillion, trillion dollar companies, especially uh, if you look to essentially market capitalization of an, essentially any publicly traded company uh, and regarded to their personal assets, for example, net worth, which you discussed with the billionaires video. It's actually quite funny to see that if you relate that uh, essentially where a billionaire stands within the billionaire ranking, so upper, lower, whatever you want to call it, um, it's really funny to see if somebody holds a large stake in Apple that the net worth is considered yeah. still to be the, that particular value that he has in that company as shares, but that you never, if it is a very large stake of his personal holdings, um, that if he dumps it, essentially, the stock will crash, uh, more or less. Yeah. Which is yeah, funny so to relate to. You know, it's, isn't that like like China or something? Because like they have a lot, they have a lot of holdings in the global empire, <laughs> like the uh, companies. But... Well, if if you look overall in China, you could argue a kind of with that. But if you see essentially where they're billionaires or uh, large corporations with very big holdings within uh, with stocks to certain items, investment banks are no exception. Look at, for example, uh, yeah. Swiss investment banks or uh, American investment banks. They also hold enormous amounts of stock. So if they want to um, liquidate an, a, a certain position, they will have to deal with uh, the decrease uh, of a certain value of, of of that stock over the period that they are selling, and of course to the amount of um, stocks that they have and li are liquidating. 
Look at, for example, at uh, what happened with Tesla recently, that the short sellers, they needed to, to cover their uh, short options because, well, they're losing crap tons of money. Um, and so by covering those options, by shares, uh, by buying shares, the the price went up again, you know? It's, it's, it's all a sense of market. And I'm not the one to go to for those kind of advices because I know a little bit of it. Okay. I need to see a bit. Just uh, you know, oh, well, well. cash out all your life savings, all your Bitcoin, all your Ethereum. Just dump it all into your SLA. It literally can't go to itself. <laughs> yeah. Well, it can, but then most likely the whole world economy is shit. You advertise your second channel at the end of every video? Uh, yes. Well, I mean, it's just so that people come and join our live stream. Yeah, but... Yeah. How long have you been doing that? Because this channel's the. I feel like you should have more growth on the second channel. Maybe you're advertising too late in the video. Don't you have analytics on when people can click off or whatever? Uh, I think about forty percent of people stay for the entire entire video. Um, but I mean, obviously, like of that, people you know may or may not want to come over. I've avoided putting the live streams on the main channel just so that you know. Uh, I guess we can be a little bit more liberal with the questions and answers and that so I can speak directly without having to worry about being beaten by community guidelines and stuff like that because obviously if the second channel gets nuked, I'm, I'm not that sad. Um, I'm not surprised. It's, it's, it's exclusively used for um, Q&A sessions, so it's not like uh, there's like uh, its own videos or anything like that there. Uh, I have a question. So um, if, uh, like you said... Uh... I think you said almost all or like all the um, top companies right now are tech companies. So what really happened to like Action Mobile? I know they're doing well, but um, like as a comparison, I don't know, probably like, um, does it mean like they have a weaker standing? Like those companies like Action Mobile, Nestle that were like the top 10 right now, they're like doing the same. Did they? Maybe it's because they didn't have as strong of a growth, or it's just like because um, tech companies are so much better in, uh, you know, like you, like you explained, why they grow so fast. Yeah, well, I don't know if it's necessarily, look, I mean, oil companies, obviously, there's this sort of speculation that, you know, we're moving towards a green future, and maybe that makes people a little less, you know, excited to invest into companies like Shell or ExxonMobil or stuff like that. Um, look, I don't know if that actually sort of gives a qualitative um, actual result, but it's certainly probably not something to be totally ignored. The other thing is, look, the companies yeah. are still doing well. Look, I mean, they've still grown, they've still returned dividends. Uh, it's just that they just haven't done well compared to things like tech companies, where people are a lot more excited to invest into them because they kind of see this, this potential future where these kind of tech companies can grow and expand into lots and lots of different fields. Um, you know, things like cloud storage and, and business to business services are becoming more and more relevant every single day, more and more profitable every single day. And it's also something, as I discussed, that's very sort of low marginal cost. So once that capital is raised to facilitate it, um, you know, it, it's, it's very sort of easy to go out and see um, long term returns on investment, which is what, you know, people buying stocks want to see. Um, but uh, look, I mean, um, I hope that sort of answers it. It's not like those companies have gone backwards. Uh, it's just that they haven't grown quite as fast, you know. And, and well, and uh, from your uh, from a chart, like it's um, uh, number ten, the J.P. Morgan Chase. I don't really know what that is, but uh, it's like Axon Mobile in twenty ten was only five, something like five ten billion less than that. It's like, and it, it seems like they were at least they if they didn't grow, it's like they probably shrank. It's just like. Maybe, and that, like other companies were just, uh, like Microsoft and Apple really, really got big and just others on the top 10 that probably, I guess, also went broke because of the changing, because of the, I guess, market changing. Yeah. After mobile and all of these companies have like a scalability issue, Apple doesn't have a scalability. Yeah, it's going to be more people in the world. They're going to buy more of their products. Yeah, that's like, probably yeah, a really good way just, of putting it potential value is higher for yeah. tech company. Yeah. 
There's only so there's only so many oil fields out there in the world. There's only so many people that are going to need oil and gas, and you know people are sort of increasingly moving away from it. Whereas you know Apple doesn't sort of seem to. You, you think of the future of a company like ExxonMobil, uh, and then you think of a future of a company like Apple. Now, what seems peachier? What seems like it has more of a more of a, a fighting chance, I suppose, you know, to exist in fifty years from now. Um, but I mean, look, I mean, realistically, I think yeah, um, we'll Mars exploration, perhaps. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> the Umbrella Corporation and Wayland Utani are uh, the, the companies of the future. That's where you want to be investing, boys. Um, so, yeah, look, I think that, that um, hopefully gives some clarity. Now, we had someone else that had um, a good question, and I forgot entirely what it is. Uh, oops. You know, I was thinking that the longest lasting company is like, so far, I remember it's like, what like plantation companies would they like last? Would they last long? How do you mean? Sorry, like companies that are into like plantation. Agriculture, like, like yeah, do you think that will last long? Uh well, I mean, I suppose they have a pretty pretty stable, um, you know, pretty stable product, in the sense that you know people need. Um, Know, food or you know things like cotton or anything like that they may be growing um but i don't know if it's necessarily inherently more stable than any other business out there and you know you tend to see most companies have sort of a, a, a sort of a more or less a life cycle just so it depends over what period that is um so i know i wouldn't say they're, they're sort of inherently more stable than than any other particular type of company and, and maybe it's there's probably something to be said that you know um, smaller tech companies are probably pretty unstable, um, to be honest. You know, you see these big overnight IPOs that are just the next big thing, and then, I don't know, they either get bought up or they fade into obscurity within sort of four or five years. So um, that's probably, you know, a little bit of instability um, that, you know, maybe more sort of old school businesses don't kind of fall into. I was like thinking, comes to mind, it was like like uh like Nokia or something. They're still alive, but like there's they're like not anymore in the spotlight. Well, Thomas Cook uh, ran for at least a hundred thirty years before they went bankrupt. I agree to disagree about the Nokia thing. I think they're doing very well. Uh, really? The new upgraded thirty three ten is uh, fire. I must say. Okay. There you go. Um, <laughs> well, who knew? Um, I think, uh, yeah, look, I mean, um, there are sort of, you know, in a certain sense, that, look, no companies probably ever last for forever. Uh, you know, they can have a long sort of future kind of development plan, you know, hey, maybe it even lasts for the next, you know, century. Uh, but I think beyond that, it's like, well, the, you know, corporations are effectively just vessels to, to, return, to make returns, right? Yep. Anyone else can ask a question? You could be properly philosophical about it and say a corporation's a thing and nothing lasts forever. <laughs> yeah, corporations are just like empires. <laughs> they come and, come um, and go. How are, how are mega corporations, sorry, how is it possible for mega corporations to, you know, um, if they if they were if they wanted to much longer, um, they would probably want to control at least some part of the government system. Say Huawei oligarchs. Well, yeah, or or you know, companies uh, that are connected with the state. Well, I I think you need to compare it and then to which industry they are or which uh, country they are. Uh, the oligarch uh, example is actually quite a good one because if you look in Russia, the, the oligarchs with the massive companies, they are really, really powerful and really, really prominent within that industry, within the, the country itself. Outside of it, less so. Then they are more used as political tools by Putin, for example, but that's something completely different than we're talking about here. But also the economy where they operate within is completely different. And most of these are uh, monopolies or uh, um, 
oligopolies uh, which uh, are around natural resources and some really powerful stuff which get a lot of power uh, but not necessarily uh, well value in dollars because as we already previously stated is that tech companies have a really big tendency to have uh, huge potential uh, potential for future profits, while these um, well more resource based uh, um, uh, companies, which are in either industry or natural resource extraction, they have a, mo a lot more fixed amount, unless the price of that specific specific um, commodity goes up. So that uh, does the productivity or the profitability ultimately then that will result in something in that uh, portfolio. Look, for example, at Tata Steel. Tata Steel is cutting jobs and uh, equipment within Europe. Why? Because the, um, uh, the British um, uh, plant is not performing as well, meaning they need to do something to get better profitability. Look that from the other side um, in like tech companies in the US, they have tremendous amounts of power within politics. They can lobby whatever they want and they do it a lot. But compared to, for example, um, uh, Russia, they don't are they, they are not a cornerstone of the complete society of that complete political system, making them less um, viable essentially. If I may recommend it, is another video of somebody else. CGB Gray made um, a video uh, about uh, the rules for rulers. They go into essentially what you need as a government, and that is very um, uh, applicable to, to this. Essentially, the more keys, the more uh, more uh, important things you have, uh, it tends to be that uh, power is divided more uh, than in comparison to Russia, where there is very few things that are very important, making the power between them much more powerful for the government. But would it would it be stable? Or depends. Uh, it, it highly depends on indeed on the on the uh, country and of course the system. If all of a sudden oligarchs are going to rule America, I bet you're going to have a really bad time uh, in America because it's not made to do this. It is made uh, in a specific, particular way and it has operated within this uh, concept for uh, decades, not even maybe longer you can consider it. Look at, for example... Well, a lot uh, of Americans are, mm -hmm. have been saying that things are, are, are more toward Therefore, America is oligopoly, so to say. You're cutting out a lot, but um, could you repeat that again? Um, yeah, a lot of Americans are saying that uh, the current the current uh, situation of U.S. politics is totally biased the rich elite, the one percent. Well, um, I have something that mimics this. Um, can I? Uh, yeah, sure. Go for it. Okay. Um, yesterday I finished reading a book, and uh, I'd like to read the Communist like... Manifesto. Yeah, no. Um, it's called the Dictator's Handbook: Why Bad Behavior Is Almost Always Good Politics. So, there is an example here about the Green Bay Packers, a football team based in the cold climates of Wisconsin. Namely, they have a board of directors that is the size of 43 even though they are a football team from a city of 100,000. And this is compared to the board of directors of Howlett Packard, so HP laptops, where they mm -hmm. have only 12 people after having expanded the board of directors in size, like tremendously. And um, what is to be done to better the situation of, for example, Howlett Packard is uh, to do the same as the team did, which is um, Everything revolves around the groups of this electorate, the influentials, and the winning coalition. And if you expand the winning coalition beyond the size of um, six, and go to like directions of 20 to 43 in this example, then the large scale of the upper management is beholden to doing effective change for the small investors that cannot organize. Mm. I see the point. Uh, I don't really ha know how to relate on that, but I can relate it to the video that CTP Gray made. Essentially, the more, as he calls it, keys within a certain uh, item, 
uh, or certain uh, political system, uh, the more uh, it is essentially spread. If you look at the democracy, essentially everybody is uh, a key themselves. However, that's very unuseful. So we're going to group essentially people into groups which are, are essentially uh, th that have a specific issue. For example, the elderly, the, the, the farmers, uh, people with cars, um, house no, owners. Like so there are the essentials that you cannot uh, do without, that you need. Mm -hmm. um, the interchangeables um, that uh, can replace uh, key roles and uh, they are the influencing people from these uh, mm -hmm. expendable people that can be replaced and then there is the gray masses that do not decide they, don't, they aren't coordinated enough to make meaningful change um of mm, course if you uh, look at the masses itself they need it's the masses if they are not going in mass they can't achieve something however don't discount one person to change uh, anything because ultimately especially with for example america and the western world i can't talk for uh, asia for example or other countries as much uh, one person with a very uh, vocal uh, uh, opposition of a certain item can already make a, a huge change within the masses itself but i also think that um yeah sorry if you limit the system to have one shareholder at most have 5% of the shares, so 5% of the voting rights, then you need at least uh, 10 people to get a 50% majority. And these masses of shareholders could be, um, you know, unorganized to the point where you invest $200 into a company and just forget about it. Um, yep. That's possible, but that that's ultimately uh, within a bigger company. That's not necessarily for companies within politics. Um, that's the more people, you, essentially, the more you spread it, um, the, uh, the the decision rights. It doesn't necessarily need to be the amount of shares or uh, volume of shares compared to the uh, overall shares. Uh, that ultimately makes that up. <laughs> the book talks yeah. a lot about expanding the winning coalition, so the people that are essential at the table uh, where decisions are made. Yeah, but that, that then you need a definition for that exact uh, thing within society, within every company. And that's quite difficult to do because every company has its own little thing. Look, for example, at Heineken, um, even though the family uh, that made it, so essentially the Heineken family, has about 25% of the company through, this, through the structure they made, they essentially have 100% voting rights, meaning... You know, it, it depends on every single company that. And I get where you're going from, but that may be a little bit too, um, what is it? Uh, too broad or too specific for certain people uh, as well at the moment. It's a quite interesting thing, though, because it is, it, it is very viable to think about. That is very true. The book hints that uh, in decreasing the transaction costs of information being exchanged between those meaningless shareholders would give effective change to any kind of structured company that is big. Yeah, that, that's true. But that's uh, a nature of bureaucracy overall. Because how the bigger the company, essentially, the more bureaucracy you need to manage everything. Uh, the more money goes into that, the more you need to have an overall structure again. So, yeah, that, that that's very typical for both governments and very large companies so eliminating meaningless government jobs is the only way to increase productivity in a company as of today well not necessarily you have many more things but it's one of them and it's maybe one of the things that is overlooked sometimes but i can't specifically go into anything because then you need to have certain details and i don't have enough for that fair enough okay but i'd say it's a big limiting factor yeah, could could very well be, yeah. Hey, uh, economics explained. When are we getting custom emotes for the server? Custom emotes? You can do um, that. Talk to chicken. Yeah, we can. I have no idea. We can do that, but let's not go into detail about that here now. <laughs> you can uh, go, go, go. You can talk to me afterwards, okay? <laughs> I thought he asked for custom emotes. Well, I mean, uh, anything tech-related, I'm absolutely the wrong person to ask. Uh, absolutely the wrong person to ask. 
But, We've uh, noticed. I've got a question. Economics explained. I've got a question. How well do you know the economy of RuneScape? Um, well, I mean, I have done a video on it. Um, but yeah, right. To, in fairness, I have never re... Like, I played the game for probably about two, three hours in my whole life. So, probably not as well as someone that's probably a little bit more involved, I suppose. So, um, there's this economy inside of there where uh, some people mine ore, some people smelt it into armor, uh, then sell it, and then I come into the mix. I am a man that sits in a bank, invests like uh, 80 million of these gold coins uh, to buy thousands of these armor pieces, and I cast a magic spell and turn them back into money. And the amount of money I get from the spell is more than the armor piece and the rune needed to cast them. And so I perpetually skill that way sitting in a bank with an auto clicker. I've reached level 99 already. And I was wondering if Reported. the game creators uh, intended this way, because there's a lot of people that mine the ore, that play the game and get their profits out of it because they sell it at the grant exchange. And there is these people who do not care about the money. They want to lose money, but gain smithing XP extremely quickly. So they dump cash and then leave the armor for me. And I was wondering, okay, okay I am here just like getting rid of the items inside of the grant exchange, making it price go down. So is this desired maybe? Um, I don't know if you'd call that a fantastic outcome in the sense of emergent gameplay uh, or even a sort of a great, uh, you know, a great kind of outcome even for sort of a normal economy where something of value is created and then sort of destroyed because uh, it makes more sense to destroy it than, than to keep it. Um, but, uh, I mean, of course, let's sort of look at potential real-world examples, right? Um, you know, maybe it's a stretch the um, stretch the analogy a little bit, but how that potentially translates to the real world is when you see things like uh, oil companies, for example, buying up, you know, technologies like, you know, renewable energies technology just to deny the market of that technology for, you know, however long they can hold on to the patents for it so that they can kind of turn around and sell more oil. Um, you know, it sounds like, in a sense, it's very, very similar to, to what you're sort of seeing there, where hey, you know, you're kind of denying the world, you know, this, this armor. Uh, you're kind of just mincing it to, to turn it into um, money. But um, it makes you rich. So, you know, at the end of the day, is that such a negative outcome? Uh, speaking of patents, what is your opinion on them? Um, look, I actually quite like it. So I think anyone that wants to sort of hear about that, uh, should watch my video on the first video I made on the United States. Uh, so it's a three-part series, but the first one sort of talks about how, you know, the patent system was probably one of uh, the most inspired pieces of, uh, you know, things that kind of led to the, the entrepreneurial culture of the United States. I think these days, things like intellectual property uh, has kind of been bastardized to the, to, <laughs> you know, in a sense where you've taken a good idea and, and, and you've taken it to the nth degree where it's kind of limiting uh, on, on, on companies. And that's I have an example to that. Yeah, go ahead. So I've seen this graphic. Um, a friend of mine was curious about it, sent it to me. It says that there is a um, number of companies that is optimal to be inside of a research and development sector trying to develop patents and intellectual property in general. For example, when you have a car moving at 100 kilometers per hour somewhere, then the radio station that delivers Netflix to the phone of uh, the passenger is uh, requiring a patent on like delivery of packets uh, in a specific order. Now, this patent is extremely valuable. You can have this one single patent, and the 1,000 patents that the others have will yield them less money. Um, because it's just so essential and so crucial without it, and it's the optimal solution. There's no better technical alternative to it and everybody uses it it's and so on so on so um the point of this that the graph i've seen makes is that the uh if the number of companies investing in a certain field like for example these sending packets back and forth radio station phone um the actual probability of finding a new solution at some point even goes down because the market in itself becomes bastardized the research and development sector and no new outcome will come forth because so many companies are reliant on this keep uh, on this uh, continuing to be so i'd be like okay uh, because the uh, 
to this graph there was a question and the question was how many companies do you think is optimal like think about the uh, R&D world think about Facebook trying to do cars uh, like autonomous cars and then retreating from the market how many do you think is the good number uh, well, I mean I would, would say certainly it would depend on you know, like the size of the the economy and, and and things like that I mean I don't know if that'd necessarily be an optimal number you know, like, I don't know I'll play ball uh, 10 10 okay um, that's fairly uh, conservative but also in the good direction I think the um, like I don't know the actual answer but it's below 50 at the very most it's probably below 20 and uh, it could be as low as five so consider that a new sector of the economy is uh, created and then all the multi-billionaires on uh, around the world invest only in five companies because more companies in this market will not make sense or yield more uh, technology i would really like to see that um like the, the argument like all the graphs or, or sort of like the back end beyond that but uh but I mean, I, I feel like there's so many variables. Like, sure, maybe in specific like tech fields, but um, you know, like the idea of R and D companies is is they'll be in you know any wing thing from biochemistry to I don't know, um, you know, cutting edge memes or whatever. I don't know. There's probably not a lot of overlap, and surely five companies can't cover everything. Uh, I've got the image. Um, I'm launching Discord on the other computer and uh, putting this into here. No. Oh. I'm about to be credible hulked. All right, um, but that's pretty cool. And and I forgot how we actually got to this as um, a sort of oh patterns. Yes, yeah. patterns are good, but they need to be in a sense where they sort of uh, facilitate and encourage business, not shit on on small business that that can't do anything without kind of getting stomped. Like, hey, you see that rectangle there? Your logo's a rectangle. You can't have rectangles because our phones are rectangles. You're preaching on our patents, man. When it gets to that kind of, like that kind of shit, oh my god, it absolutely is just god awful. Uh, and also, I think uh, another, patents... another another good example is the, the patents on insulin, where just changing the the, the design of a needle uh, warrants. Yeah, or, or, or like. Yeah, it raises the price of insulin exceedingly high to justify that. Yeah, I think um, like medical patents are obviously a bit touchier. Uh, I think it, it obviously, you know, developing a drug is extremely expensive in companies like, you know, let's say Bayer or Johnson Johnson and whatever uh, that put in the research to developing it probably should be rewarded for it. You know, Ugh, the time and sort of money constraints, maybe but, that should but, be a little bit more regulated. But libertarians but... are arguing for, for, de for removing IP medical company to bring down the costs of yeah so i don't agree with that because i think um a lot of you know a lot of companies would go well i mean okay why would i develop or oh, i would have put so much into to r d if i can just copy some some other companies you know you kind of got a prisoner's dilemma there um whoever actually sort of spends the money on r d is at a, is at a disadvantage so no one would actually end up doing it um, so I don't know if that's necessarily the case, right. but certainly limiting perhaps the time that they can have for that. And I think that's the big one. Um, so things like intellectual property, you know, uh, in the Hall of the Mountain King, the, the, the song, and that was written, oh man, I think in the 1800s, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but man, there's, there's, still, there's still copyright on it. You know, I could not put uh, in the Hall of the Mountain King on a video, a song that was written, you know, close on 200 years ago, because Warner Brothers owns it. Like, how does that make sense? Um, you know, and things like that um, that have got this incredibly long tail uh, of, of you know, claiming this intellectual property is, uh, I think that's where it kind of gets a bit limiting. It's not, it's not helping that, that business anymore. The person who wrote that song is dead. So they don't care if they have, you know, exclusive royalties over that song anymore. Um, but it just sort of limits, you know, people that want to, I don't know, do something else with it. Yeah, but in that case, the actual value of having this patent relies on the ability to cause an injunction for some product. And if nobody's doing it and everybody's ignoring it, then it loses all value. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's different for different products, right? So obviously we've looked at things like medical patents, which probably, um, I think that the rules for medical patents should be different than the rules for, let's say, physical patents, like let's say with you know newer emergent technology. And I think the rules for new and emergent technology should be different for uh, you know, the patents that people have over intellectual property, right? So three probably pretty distinct fields. Uh, you know, if I make a movie or if I make, you know, 6G super internet or if I make, you know, um, the the drug that cures the, the coronavirus, um, I think those sort of three things should be handled very differently. And they are. Um, so, you know, she was, was right in the sense that there's probably no one size fits all. Um, but I think certainly when it comes to things like, um, you know, intellectual property, like, like movies and music and things like that, my goodness, like the, the laws are literally written for, for, for major media enterprises because they are extremely big. I've uh, found my picture. I've posted it in the general chat. If you want to have a look, I also found the answers, uh, uh, picture. And the actual number is not listed anywhere, so I don't know what the actual answer to how many companies uh, is supposed oh, to be there is. What a tease. It's uh, dependent on the industry, I bet. We cannot yeah. have a blank slate for that. Hmm. Um, yeah, I have um, one question. Um, should employees, uh, employers be required to be transparent about the specific employee's profitability? Ah, oh, sorry. So should employers be... Uh, required to be transparent about the profit the specific employee makes right oh that's a really interesting question i i mean i don't really haven't ever thought about it um but that can mean how would you quantify that though think of the accounting yeah that that's a good need. question think of the accounting that you would need to do let's say a company like walmart or even sort of more further removed from that, even a company like let's say Amazon, you know, if you have someone working in a fulfillment center, sure they're moving boxes around and you know, maybe they're fulfilling orders, but they're just one piece of a very, very long supply chain, you know, um, do you count their profitability based on, you know, how many orders they fulfill and just assume that, you know, they, they are 100% responsible for all the profits associated with that particular order or, um, you know, do you count it as, you know, sort of net profit or, or, or the, you know, proportion that they contribute towards it? And then also, do you know how unbelievably expensive it would be to account for all of that? Um, you know, especially when you have, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of employees and then, hey, you know, look what happens if the company's running at a loss. You know, you say, hey, thank you, Mr. Employee, you've, you've earned this company negative on $1 million. Um, okay. I think, interesting idea, it absolutely never Difficult works. to, yeah. It Actually, it, it, there is a middle way that currently is enforced also by uh, the European Union. I don't know exactly how it's called, but essentially uh, within very big companies, you have a lot of internal divisions. Uh, for example, look at Apple. They have a division for selling phones, essentially, or designing them, uh, market them, and so on. And you can divide the uh, the whole company into all little kind of companies with holdings, with certain assets, go on, go on, go on. And now, actually, the transfer price between products is being called into question. Why? Because it used to be that the, uh, companies go to a certain uh, jurisdiction um, where the tax was very lenient for that certain item. Look, for example, at the Netherlands, uh, IP rights and stuff like that is very low taxed, about 1%, and you can even uh, make a deal with the uh, authorities, which makes it even lower. Um, and that, in turn, gets it uh, through the uh, uh, country into, for example, Ireland or Bermuda, where there is no t uh, uh, profit tax on it uh, again, meaning effectively you're going to be taxed around one, yeah, maybe one and a half change. percent. No, that's no, no. What change in the Netherlands? They uh, have a tax reform in the next couple of years. Yes, they do, and we were forced to um, by the European Union, and that's what I say. The transfer price between certain items, between uh, divisions, is now going to be uh, uh, translated into that the tax is uh, uh, well, essentially according to where it's made, where it is earned those uh, profits or these earnings. Um, and that's actually quite interesting because now companies have a valid reason and need to understand uh, between certain departments 
what the value of each item is, which is respect, uh, uh, respected by that individual uh, chain. And by doing so, you have essentially between what the company essentially makes as a revenue and then companies as well. Because these kind of things are not just within uh, or across borders. Smaller companies, which also have uh, the uh, departments, will also be affected by this, because, but less so if they are within one nation. And that's a really interesting uh, middle because it's still expensive to do, but it's not as a, a giant change as what you, for example, said with um, changing or uh, adapting to individual productivity. I would even argue with individual productivity, look at, for example, um, uh, big companies and the departments themselves. Everybody who is working there has a certain value to the company and produces uh, for that. If people are not efficient enough, more or less, they will either be replaced or just outright fired in order to have somebody return who is better. For example, a good example would be, for example, you have three people uh, working in a uh, burger joint. Um, uh, all three are baking burgers. One is paid eight hours an hour, uh, eight dollars an hour. The other nine, and the other, uh, and the third one is paid ten because one is older, whatever, it doesn't really matter in this case. If the burger cost is about seven, uh, uh, or everybody makes about 10 burgers and they bring 10 euros in, or $10 in, everybody makes some sort of profit. However, that, uh, that guy of $10 uh, is still uh, breaking, even, uh, breaking even. Is it viable to keep him from a cost perspective? No and yes, because it's break even, it doesn't matter. If you lose customers for it, then it depends on where some, something else. And ultimately, companies make that decision um, that who is profitable for us or not. And on an individual basis, it's very difficult, although still done day to day, but there is nothing to quantify a certain um, uh, productivity of one person. Or as EE says, it's going to be a whole buttload of work for accountants. <laughs> Think of the employment opportunities, though. 50% of our company is now accountants to look after the other 50%. That sounds horrible. <clears throat> um, hearing about efficient, efficient employment in a company reminded me of this really weird theory. And... I'm so confident it's incorrect, but I'm not sure how to describe that it's incorrect. Like, you can give examples and say that you... So, um, let me just explain it first. So, um, you have a theory by something, some guy price like this, price law, price... Price's law, and it says that when you have a company, um, half of the work is done by one to the square number of people in the company. So if you have a company with um, square... Yeah, so if you have if you have a company with 10 people um you have one of them you have three of them doing 50% of the work but if you have a company of 100 people 10 of them are doing 50% of the work and the thing that I saw said that Centrally planned states don't work because it essentially makes the country a single company and thus massively reduces the productivity. And I, I don't think I explained it well, but I still don't think it makes any sense. And I'm wondering... Uh, I'm going to try like, and unpack what you said in the sense that it's like a very common like business theory that obviously um you know some employees are better than the other uh, others and you know let's say something like 20 percent of your working uh, workforce contributes 80 percent uh, to the value of the company um 
And I think um, that's probably rubbish. It's probably like, you know, Instagram-y hashtag entrepreneur bullshit. Um, because, you know, by, by just sort of thinking about it logically, you can determine that that's, that's not true. Uh, if it was true, you know, companies would take very effective steps to, to make sure that that, that didn't happen. I have uh, a correction to this. I've heard this many times. It's about the creative idea making part of the company. That is a square root. Right. Okay. Well, look, I mean, perhaps at that point, sure. But you also got to remember that a lot of, um, you know, employees within a company aren't in creative fields. Um, you know, they're not there to, they're there in process roles. So, you know, they, they you know, serve a customer, take the money, thank you, next. Um, so I don't know if there's probably, I don't know if that's necessarily a fair argument to make. Um, and how it relates to, of it, course... It's not the field to apply this to. Better is the research papers and creating of scientific uh, writings domain. There, this law applies very well. Sure. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, certainly, I mean, certainly in academia, there are some very prolific um, researchers. And, you know, then there are also people that will spend 20 years on, on a single paper. So, yeah, I suppose that kind of makes sense, I suppose. Um, it's, it's how you kind of value the work that's been put out. Look, I don't necessarily want to sort of speculate over whether that's true or not. I, I feel like that is very, very wishy-washy now. Um, certainly a failing of, you know, things like communist states is that they don't incentivize discretionary effort in employees. And certainly in, in a certain sense, you know, things like Mao's China, for example, um, you, you probably didn't want to put in uh, much in the way of, of a lot of extra effort because it would, you know, raise you up above your, your you know, your your comrades uh, and you would be seen as sort of a potential enemy. You don't, you didn't want to sort of stick your head out. You kind of just wanted to, to remain with the, the, the blob of, of, of workers. Uh, and that meant being mediocre. So certainly, I think there's probably a lot to be said for that if that was what you meant. Ah, uh, I don't know. I, I heard it. What I heard was really convincing, but it still sounded wrong. I was wondering if I could explain it well enough to get a proper, no, it's wrong because of da-da, da-da, and da-da-da. But... Well, I'll, then you I'll need have to do to. a little bit more research into it. But it's an interesting topic, though. Uh, I would say that, yeah. Actually, there is a very interesting question from the YouTube um, uh, chat. It's, can you explain when exactly does a com uh, public company fall for uh, bankruptcy and what does happen to its, uh, well, the value and its common shareholders? Yeah, so that is a good question. And, it, and as with a lot of good questions, it all depends. Um, so in bankruptcy proceedings, there's sort of a, uh, a kind of a chain of command, I suppose, in terms of who gets paid out first. Now, normally when you're sort of having a company file for bankruptcy, uh, it can't meet its sort of debt obligations and it, it's better for the company just sort of to shut down. Now, in doing that, um, it will sell off its assets. So, you know, if it has patents, if it has factories, if it has storefronts, if it has inventory and all of that kind of stuff, you'll see big closing down sales and then they'll sell their... Um, you know, then they'll sell their things and, and that's normally done um, by someone that sort of comes in, uh, you know, and it's called like administration. So basically uh, an entity will come in and they'll handle the, the selling off of that company. Now, the first people that um, will get paid out are, you know, you know, depending on the type of institution. So let's say it's something like a financial institution uh, will be depository holders. So if people have savings in a bank, let's say, they get paid out first. Those are the first people to, to get paid out. The next level down from that, the next people that will get paid out are debt holders. So if I lent the company money on a loan, um, so let's say a, you know, a $200,000 loan to my local butcher shop and it went out of business, uh, they, sold the, um, the, they sold the company and you know, they sold the shop front and they made you know, 220,000 uh, bucks, they have to pay me first that $200,000. The next one beyond that are common shareholders. So people that um, you know have invested in the company, if there's anything left, of course it gets dis dispersed amongst those common shareholders. Uh, and then the next level beyond that 
uh, the people that get it pretty much very, very last are what we call priority shareholders, which sounds kind of a bit counterintuitive, but there are some companies that have sort of two tiers of shares. Um, and, uh, you know, priority shareholders actually don't take priority when you're sort of liquidating a company um, because they had sort of priority with other things in regards to like voting power and, and things like that. So it's kind of a, like a chain of command. But the first people are, you know, whoever had sort of um, deposits with uh, the company. Uh, so financial institutions are the easiest ones to think of. But even think of, um, I don't know, um, let's say uh, a furniture shop shop is going out of business and someone ordered a, uh, a couch and, I don't know, maybe they put it on lay-by or something like that and, you know, they had $600 sort of paid into to saving up for their couch with the company um, or they put a, you know, $600 deposit on a custom piece of furniture or something that was, that was in construction. They would get their money back before um, people that had loaned money to them. So, yeah, there's, there's a very sort of strict chain of command. So hopefully that answers the well question. You forgot one thing, and that's the government is always first. <laughs> Taxes are already, always going to be first paid. Yes, of course. They, they'll, they'll make sure that they're there to, to, to stick their hand out. <laughs> yes. But overall, yeah, you have differences in, in short liabilities. Essentially, people already paid in D to you. Um, then essentially long-term liabilities, people who loan to you. And then everything which essentially still on the PAL. Most of the time, it's not that much anymore. That goes to shareholders. So essentially, if you had, um, well, a company of like 10 million and they need to pay off 8 million in, in, in all the assets that or all the uh, liabilities that they had, you still have 2 million over for the shareholders. However, with most bankruptcies, uh, which are forced bankruptcies, um, there is nothing over for the um, uh, shareholders or extremely minimal. Absolutely. All right. It is bedtime for me, guys. It's 1.30 a.m. Thanks for all Good the great questions. Uh, yeah, on a, uh, on a Thursday night as well, so I still have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> uh, thanks for all the great mm -hmm. questions. I hope you guys all enjoyed the video, and I will see you all on Sunday, or my Sunday, probably your Saturday, uh, for the next Q&A session. It should be a really interesting one. So, uh, spoiler alert, as always, for the people that... Hiccup, sorry. Uh, here for the Q&A stream. It is on the Greek economy on Sunday, so this one should be spicy. Oh, oh God. Not, guys. Doesn't exist.